Well, let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this day that we have to come and celebrate communion. And before that, to dig deeply into your word. And Lord, to, to feast on it. Because our souls need it. Just like our bodies need physical food, Lord, we need spiritual food. And in these days that we are living in, we need to be strong. We need to be prepared to do your will and whatsoever you call us to do. We need to redeem the time because the days are evil. So Lord, feed us, strengthen us, and help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. For it's in His most precious and exalted name that we pray. Amen. A new beginning. John 21. On Tuesday, January the 22nd of 2008, Tim Masters received a new lease on life. The first line of the story reads, A Colorado judge Tuesday threw out Tim Masters' 1999 murder conviction after DNA evidence pointed to another suspect. And Masters was freed after spending more than nine years behind bars. Twelve years after the body of Peggy Hetrick, was discovered in a field near Master's mobile home. He was convicted of the slaying. He was only 15 years old at the time of the murder. Now, 36 years of age, he walked out of jail dazed but elated. I want to see my family, he said. Master's had always insisted upon his innocence. He made mistakes surrounding the crime in 1987. He failed to report the crime after seeing the body while he was on his way to school one day. He had violent sketches in his room. But no physical evidence was ever tied to him and the crime. A plastic surgeon had testified that it would have been very improbable that a teen could have had the skill to inflict upon the body what had been done. An FBI profiler warned police that Master's tendency to draw gruesome and graphic pictures in and of itself could not be used to tie him to the crime. An allegation has been made that information favorable to Tim Masters that Fort Collins prosecutors had from around the time of the murder was never turned over to his defense team. Recently, a special prosecutor reviewing the case made the request to vacate the conviction citing that new DNA evidence exonerated Tim Masters and actually led to the conviction of the real perpetrator. Now folks, it definitely doesn't seem like sound like Tim Masters was always a good young man by any stretch of the imagination, but imagine hearing that your conviction of a life sentence without parole has been thrown out and you're able that day to walk out of prison 
a free man. Now on another level, a spiritual level, our story today about Simon Peter actually records somebody getting a brand new lease on life. Simon Peter's record is essentially erased. And he has the opportunity of making a fresh new start. Now folks, you know when we think about new beginnings in the Bible, if you're like me, you probably think of some other characters. I think of Moses after he murdered that Egyptian and and he fled. And how God, after 40 years, spoke to Moses at the burning bush, called him to go back to Egypt and deliver the Hebrews out of bondage. I also think of the Apostle Paul when he was still Rabbi Saul on the road to Damascus and how God got his attention, converted his soul, and gave him a brand new beginning as the Apostle Paul. Those are some of the key figures that I think of. But you know, folks, sometimes we forget about Simon Peter, don't we? We forget about the new beginning that Jesus gave to him. You'll remember the background to this passage. After Jesus' arrest, Simon Peter denied that he ever knew Jesus. And he denied Jesus not just once or twice, but three different times. And as the scripture points out, just as Jesus indicated that after the third denial, a rooster crowed and Simon Peter suddenly remembered the words of Christ that that Peter would indeed deny him. And the Bible says he went out and wept. What a colossal failure Peter must have felt like he was. Imagine if you were Peter, how you must have felt on the beach with the other disciples here in John 21 after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has lit a fire and he has cooked breakfast for the disciples and he calls them over to eat. I would imagine Simon Peter felt very inadequate and unworthy to be in that crowd. Here he is with James and John, the sons of thunder, and the other band of disciples. And to know that you, a leader among the disciples, has failed the Lord Jesus the way you failed him. I wonder what his appetite was like at this meal. Do you think that Jesus knew how Peter felt? Absolutely, because King David in Psalm 139 said, Lord, you know my thoughts even before I have them. God knows all of our thoughts. Jesus knew exactly what Simon Peter was feeling this day. Folks, this is such a story of God's grace. It ought to give hope to everyone today that you can indeed have a future after disappointing the Lord. You may have experienced failure in your life over something you've done, some way that you've disappointed the Lord Jesus in your service, or... You may simply feel like you have not lived up to your potential as a Christian. 
And so there's all kinds of guilt in your life. Or maybe after 2020, the year that we've had, it's been a paralyzing year to some. And maybe you've been in a holding pattern of sorts. And you know that you need a new beginning, not from failure, but you just need a fresh start. After all, we've all read this past year the challenges that families and individuals are having during the, during the lockdown. Family challenges, marriage challenges, challenges with parenting, challenges with jobs and, and finances. But what we learn in our text today is about a saint of God who gets a new beginning, a fresh start. And it's a very touching story because it has to do with Jesus dealing with a single individual, Simon Peter. And Simon Peter is somebody that I think we can all see ourselves in from time to time. First of all this morning, I want you to notice with me a penetrating question. A penetrating question, verses 15 and following. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you, then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. A very penetrating question. Do you love me more than these? And I want you to notice that the question comes three times. Obviously, it's as though Jesus is saying, you denied me three times. And so for three times, I'm going to allow you the chance to set the record straight and to clear your guilty conscience. Now, a lot of discussion has gone into what Jesus may have meant by the phrase, do you love me more than these? There's some options. Do you love me more than you love these other men? In other words, do you love me, Simon Peter, more than you love your family and friends? Do I rank above your family and friends all the other relationships in your life? That's one option. And that's a very legitimate option because earlier Jesus had said, if you do not love me more than father, mother, brother, sister, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Our love for Jesus needs to be ahead of our love for anybody else on the face of this earth. Another option. Do you love me more than you love these things? In other words, do you love me more than you love your fishing, these nets, these boats? Do you love me more than you love your job, your career, your livelihood? 
You see, the scripture has already told us that after the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples had gone back to their way of life, to their fishing. And that had been their livelihood for many of them at least before Jesus called them to be his disciples. So Jesus may be surprised that they've returned already to former careers and he's asking Peter where his true allegiance is. Again, that's a possibility. But you know, I don't think either one of these are the right option even though there's powerful truth in both of them. Because indeed, we know that we are to love Jesus more than we love our family and friends. And we know that we're to love Jesus more than we love our livelihoods. In fact, we know that we're to love Him more than we love anything else in the world. Folks, when we love other things first, our lives have gotten out of focus. Maybe your life is out of focus this morning. Maybe your job, your livelihood, other relationships, sports, entertainment, any number of things has begun to take priority over your relationship with the Lord. If your relationship with the Lord Jesus is not what it ought to be, it's likely that really nothing else in your life is quite like it ought to be either. But you know, I think the the third option is the best option. Jesus may have been asking Simon Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these other men love me? Do you love me more than my other disciples love me? Now you might think that's a very strange question to ask because after all, how could Simon Peter know if his level of love was greater than the love anybody else would have? But in reality, Jesus was simply picking up on the claim that Simon Peter himself had made earlier. Remember how in the upper room Jesus had prepared his disciples that he was going to be crucified and that when he was crucified, his sheep would scatter. And you remember what Simon Peter said? In a bold and courageous claim, Simon Peter had said, Lord, not me. If everybody else turns away from you, if everybody else denies you, if everybody else scatters and runs, not me. Lord, you can count on me when you can't count on anybody else. And so in his pride, Simon Peter had assumed that his love for Christ and his devotion for Christ was greater than that of others. Because he said, they may fail you, but not me. And so Jesus is simply approaching Peter based on Simon Peter's own earlier claim. Peter, you said yourself that if everybody else fled, you would not. That you would always stand by me. How about now, Peter? Are you still claiming to have a higher devotion to me than others? A higher love to me than others? That's probably what Jesus is asking him. And you know, there's still another very unique aspect to Jesus' words here and Simon Peter's words. 
And scholars, I need to be honest, scholars wrestle over this one. Some say there's something to the word change, the word order, and the word change. Others, others say maybe we don't want to read too much into it. But here's the point, whatever you decide. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word for love that is agape love. The highest form of love, a self-giving, self-sacrificing type of love. A love where you forget about yourself, you think only of others, and you love them with that kind of love. Jesus is saying, Simon, do you love me with that kind of love, an agape type of love? After all, that's what Peter had claimed. But when the chips were down, Peter had done just the opposite. Peter had protected his own skin when Jesus was arrested and led away. And so when Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter responds by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo is also a word for love. It doesn't reach the level of agape. Phileo love is a kinship love, a brotherly love like friends have for one another. So Jesus says, do you love me with an agape love? And Peter responds by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you with a kinship, brotherly type of love. Now, if we're to make much over this word change, what we see is that Peter's pride has taken a hit. And this time, he's not assuming to be boastful. He's not saying, Lord, I agape you. He's not saying, Lord, I'll, I, I've always been true to you, no matter what others have done. I've always been willing to lay down my life for you. He's not saying that now. In other words, he's admitting that he's been humbled. And now he's saying, yes, Lord, you know that I do love you. But I'm not claiming to love you with that supreme kind of love. And so now he's being careful that his words don't run ahead of his actual commitment. Now, folks, I would like to think that that's exactly what we're supposed to see in, in the word change here. Because if we're not meant to see something, then why the word change? I'd like to think that Peter is humbling himself. He's admitting he hasn't lived up to the earlier promises that he made. And you know, maybe that speaks to somebody in here this morning. Instead of running away from God because of disappointing the Lord, admit to the Lord your shortcomings. Admit to Him your struggles. Admit to Him all of this. And that you need a fresh beginning, a, a new beginning, a fresh start. 
Maybe some of the grandiose promises you made to the Lord, perhaps as a young person, you've not lived out those grandiose promises the way you thought you would in your life. But you know that still you really do love the Lord. You just want to be careful now that your words are more measured and not as boastful. You know, I, I think marriage is a great analogy here. I've, I've seen couples at great odds with one another. They've come to see me and there's a lot of anger and pride and withdrawal from one another. They're sometimes turned away from one another with their arms crossed. But then they get really honest with each other and they admit their failures to one another. And it's like the floodgates suddenly open. And they begin talking. And even though everything may not be right, at least they're ready to move forward. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get Simon Peter to do here. You know, folks, he could have written Simon Peter off. Think about it. He still had ten other disciples to work with. But yet he deals with Simon Peter. And he asks him this penetrating question. I think also that Jesus is, is making a statement about Peter to the other disciples. Jesus is publicly reinstating Peter and affirming that Peter is still one of them. Now, let me ask you, if you could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Lord this morning, what would Jesus be confronting you with? What would his penetrating question to you be? You see, until you get honest with where you are and deal with your real need and your failure and your need of the Lord, not much is going to change. It's a matter of grace that God even gives us another chance. But thank God that He does. Notice something else about Simon Peter's answer. This time there's no comparison with anybody else. Peter didn't say, yes Lord, you know that I love you more than these. He simply said, yes Lord, you know that I love you. And he let it go at that. I love you, but this time I'm not going to make any comparisons. I'm not going to make any bold statements. Despite what I've done though, I love you. That's humility. Peter's learned his lesson. Peter is finally saying, Lord, I love you. Not like I thought I would. Not like I wanted to in the ideal. Not like I should have. And not necessarily better than anybody else. But Lord, I do love you. This morning I want to ask you, do you love the Lord? I'm not going to ask you if you love Him enough that you would sell everything you have and move to a mission field next month. It'd be great today if all of us had that kind of love and devotion to Christ. He's certainly worthy of that. I'd like to think that any of us would do that. But at the level that you're at, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I do love you. I'm not where I should be, but I do love you. I want to start over again. I want to grow. Lord, I've disappointed you, but I want to grow. And whatever level you're at, Lord, 
I want to go to that next level. I want to have a deeper devotion to you. I want to have a better commitment to you. Folks, remember the one thing that disappointed Jesus the most over the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They were still busy working for the Lord like they always had. But remember what Jesus said to them? You don't love me the way you used to. You've taken a great fall. And Jesus said what you need to do is repent and return to that former love that you had for me. Is there somebody here this morning that needs to do the same? Second thing I want you to see this morning, a particular command. Peter had responded, yes, Lord, I love you, but notice what Jesus says to that response. He says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Folks, don't miss this. There, there are two very important things happening here. First, there's the aspect of the new beginning. Let's move on, Peter. Start over again. You know you messed up, but don't stay there. I'm giving you a new beginning. But then there's the second aspect I want you to notice. There's the aspect of action. I've forgiven you, Peter, but here's what I'm demanding of you now. I am demanding faith in action. I don't want just words from you. If you really love me, what I'm looking for is a faith that works. Feed my lambs. Do my will. Serve me. And folks, that's what he's asking of us. If you love him, serve him. Get involved with him in his mission. Feed his sheep. You and I can make all kinds of claims, but does our life back up those claims? If you're willing to start over with Jesus and truly live a life of devotion and service, Jesus will forgive you, overlook that, give you a new beginning, but now it's time to do His will, to be about His business, to feed His sheep. Christ loves His sheep. He loves His bride, the church. And so you and I are invited to love what He loves, to be a part of what He's doing in the world. You know, you and I have met people all the time, at least I know I have, that say they love the Lord, but they never have time to serve the Lord through the local church. They don't give, they don't worship, they don't serve, they don't minister. The love they say they have for Christ never translates into any kind of action or ministry or service. But remember what God said in the book of James. Works don't save us. We're saved by grace, not by works. But if we have a saving faith, it's going to be a faith that works. 
it translates into action. Remember the illustration James gave in James chapter 2. Somebody comes to your door and knocks and you just go and say, Hey, God bless you, brother. I hope you find what you need. And then you shut the door and do nothing to help them. James says, What kind of faith is that? That's a dead faith. And James goes on to point out, Even the devils say they believe and they tremble. You've got to have a faith that works. That means we've got to obey Him. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He that loves me will obey me. The one who obeys me, He's the one that loves me and myself and my Father. We will come to that person and show ourselves to that person. You've got to live in obedience. John says in 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2, you've got to come out of the darkness. If you say that you love Him and yet walk as a lifestyle in darkness and sin, John says you lie and know not the truth. John's very blunt. If you say that you know Him, you've got to come out of the darkness and live in the light. So you've got to obey Him and live in the light. And you've got to join Jesus in his mission. Feed his lambs, just like he tells Peter here. Folks, it's really that simple. First of all, come to him in repentance and faith, and then go out and live for him in all that you do. You know, folks, it's no accident that just about all the letters in the New Testament, all the letters in the epistles, the first portion of them will deal with doctrine and theology, what we believe, because what you believe matters. It's important. But then the last part of these letters and epistles deal with action. Putting that doctrine into practice. Putting feet on it. And that's what Christ is asking of Peter here. Peter, you say now that you love me. You believe all the right things. You have that devotion for me. Now show it by feeding my sheep. And let me remind you of how these words did in fact connect with Simon Peter. Because right after this in the book of Acts, we see Peter out preaching, leading people to faith in Christ. Then I also think of Peter writing, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, to churches that he'd helped to establish. He's writing to them. He's feeding the sheep. He's feeding the sheep and helping the sheep to grow. And so Simon Peter ended up following through in a marvelous way with what Jesus is telling him to do here. In fact, Peter would eventually do what he had been scared to death to do on the night that Jesus was arrested. Peter took a costly stand in the long run and he would indeed eventually die for his love of Christ. But let's get back to chapter 21 here. I want you to see next a pointed reminder. Look at verses 18 and following. 
I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? There are two things that Jesus has to say here to Peter. First of all, feed my sheep, but realize as you do so, Peter, it won't always be easy. It's going to cost you. Peter, you escaped on the night that I was arrested. But he's saying to Peter here, you won't always escape. If you really love me and feed my sheep, it's going to end up costing you, Peter. You previously said that you would die for me. Well, Peter, that's going to eventually happen. Look at the phrase here. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Scholars have shown that that phrase became a saying for Christians being led away to their death. Eusebius, the church historian, tells us that Simon Peter ended up being crucified. But... Eusebius tells us when Simon Peter was about to be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was. And they turned him upside down and crucified him upside down. And so Simon Peter ended up dying a martyr for Christ. So Jesus is reminding him here, you feed me, you love me, you really love me enough that you're going to feed my sheep and be about my business. But Peter, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be convenient. In fact, Peter, you're going to end up dying. Folks, we may come to a day like that. Your Christianity and my Christianity may end up costing us dearly one day. Are you willing to serve Him anyway? Are you willing to lay it all on the line and serve Him anyway? We're to love Him by serving Him, but we need to be reminded that our service may one day cost us everything. I think what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, he says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere with their souls. We're to serve and not shrink back. 
In Revelation 12, John addresses those who serve Christ in the midst of tribulation where some even die. But listen to what John says. He says, And they've conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. You know, Peter had tried to save his own skin when he denied the Lord. He tried to play it safe. And he tried to keep himself out of danger of any sort. But when Christ reinstates Peter here, he tells Peter that one day he's going to die for his faith. But regardless of that, notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 19. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Even though it's going to cost you your very life. Peter did follow. He didn't shrink back. He learned his lesson well. He finished well. But folks, what about us? What about you? What about me? Will we follow well and will we finish well? As Revelation points out, during even trying times, we've got to love the Lord more than we even love life itself. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and because we love not our lives even unto death. Can that be said of you? Now there's a second pointed reminder that Jesus also gives to Peter. Peter has just been given this new chance and this new revelation about what his life is going to end up uh, being. But I want you to notice what Simon Peter all of a sudden wants to do. He wants to look around and compare himself to somebody else. Lord, what about him? What about John? You know, it's unfortunate that we do that, isn't it? Instead of carrying out our God-given assignment, we want to know about everybody else. We ask, what's so-and-so doing? Parents, your kids love to pull that one on you, don't they? Mom, Billy doesn't have to do that. Parents, you've heard that one, right? Jesus reminds Peter that that is immaterial. What Jesus wants of John is totally beside the point. Jesus has got a work for John to do. It'll be a different work from Simon Peter's. But Peter doesn't need to concern himself with John. Peter simply needs to focus on what Christ is calling him to do. Folks, what's your assignment? What's God called you to do? How's He equipped you? This year, if everybody puts their spiritual life in neutral and does nothing, and some people even turn away from the Lord, you know what? That should not affect you or me one bit. You and I are to follow Christ regardless. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, every single one of us have an appointment at the Bema seat of Christ one day, and we're all going to give an account of ourselves. 
Peter, it doesn't matter about John. You follow me and you be faithful. And you look around this morning. It doesn't matter about that person sitting next to you. It doesn't even matter about the people in your own household. What if everybody in your own household were to quit following Christ and turn away? That shouldn't diminish your devotion to Christ one bit. You follow Christ even if it costs you everything. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to serve Him and be faithful to Him regardless of what anybody else does? Regardless of what it costs you? What if you get no encouragement whatsoever? What if you only get criticism because of your faith in Christ? Are you going to serve Him anyway? I hope so. Again, I'm so glad that we read in the book of Acts what we read about Simon Peter. Peter rose to the challenge. Never again would Peter deny his Lord. He loved Christ, served Him, laid his life down for Christ. God changed his life. And folks, that's what went on to define Simon Peter the rest of his life and eternity. I want to give you a couple lessons in closing. Lesson number one, don't stay at the place and point of your shortcoming. Bring your failure to Christ in humility. You can let your past keep you from the Lord or you can let it drive you to the Lord. If you're truly repentant, God will forgive you of anything and go on to use you for His purposes. Lesson number two, put your faith to action. Don't just say you love the Lord, obey Him. Feed His sheep. Get involved in Christ's mission. And then thirdly, run your own race. Finish your course regardless of the cost and regardless of others. Live your life preparing for your appointment at the judgment seat of Christ one day. Father, thank you for what we read of Simon Peter here. What an encouragement. You didn't write him off. You weren't done with him. And Lord, what a blessing that becomes to us. Lord, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, the the things that we see in the scripture about how you dealt with others. And of course, Paul was talking about the Old Testament saints. But today, we could include the New Testament saints. The things we read, how you worked in their lives, is to be an example to us of how you work in our lives. And so, God, I pray for that one that I'm talking to this morning that needs a fresh start. They've not lived up to some of the ideal promises and commitments that they made to you, possibly years ago, maybe even decades. 
God, give them a new beginning. Give them a new beginning. And Lord, remind us that that new beginning involves serving you, feeding your sheep, being about your business. And that's going to cost us. We should not assume it's going to be different for us than it was for the people in the Bible who laid down their lives for you. That day may come for us. Strengthen us for that day. And Lord, help us not to compare with others. Help us to follow you regardless, even if we're the only one. Help us to press on until we see Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.